if I had like home about uh, fun. Hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. Uh, should we do a, a podcast? I've heard of those. Yeah, we should try one. Okay, maybe this time we'll get it right. Hello, and welcome to Hacking the Grepson for another exciting podcast about the world of programming and development and, you know, anything that's even loosely related to that. Because uh, we are at, uh, we're in the 50s now, so we got we to gotta branch out. You can only talk about uh, variables and, uh, you know, uh, control structures for so long. Yeah. All right. So, um, I, that's my favorite variable name. Uh, I use it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when I do a double loop, you know, I throw in a J. Whoa. I-J. Yeah, and if it gets if it gets crazy, I might go to K, but that's usually a code smell if you're hitting K. Yep, you should probably refactor that. And that's our episode. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I J K, we out. No, I figured we, uh, you know, one topic that we somehow have not actually broached uh, in the wider tech world is one that's uh, that actually comes up a lot for me uh, as a web dev. Because, you know, basically I'm putting stuff on the internet for people to read or look at or interact with in some way. And, you know, that's millions, perhaps billions of people, uh, potentially. And uh, I have a certain experience of the web, uh, how I see it, how I interact with it, how I, how I hear it. Uh, but not everybody shares my, my experience. And so I figured we should talk about accessibility and specifically web accessibility because I think, you know, the web has been around for, ugh, I don't know. If, if only we had Tim Berners-Lee here where we could just say like, Hey, when did you, when did you make that thing? Yeah. He should um, tell us. Come on, Tim. He re- yeah. I mean, I mean, he's the only definitive answer. I think yeah, there's no uh, other way for us to know. No, uh, we, we couldn't use any of the technology I just talked about to find this We've out. We've had the web for uh, at but, least two years. Yes. You know, I, I might be as bold to say at least three. <laughs> All right. Um, in, all ser- in all seriousness, let's see. I was a webmaster back in 1997, I think. 19, back like, when that was a job title. <laughs> back when that was a job title. So at least that long. Yeah, I, uh, I probably hopped on the web somewhere in the mid-90s. Um, but I know it was around before then. So we'll, we'll, just, we'll just say, you know, 30, 40 years, something like that. And, you know, I, I would say the web has gotten a lot more complicated uh, oh, since then, in, ter- in terms of the, the, the features and what people f- uh, expect of a website, which are largely web apps now because, you know, they have interactivity, they have databases, they have users. And the thing is, though, that there's some really basic stuff about the web that still isn't so when it should be. For example, the structure of a web page. Uh, you know, like what comes first, the head, the body, the footer, that kind of stuff. And and having the document that your web browser reads semantically be able to read that in a proper way. Uh, I mean, HTML, both as a pro and con, is a very uh, loose parser. It will let you get away with a lot of bad code and still yep. view something on the internet. So the, specifically, you mean the fact that HTML does not prescribe what to do and the fact that it is so freeform that's 
okay for typically abled. I don't know what the right term. For that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, it's. Mm, I guess my 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 point is more that like the way that you code a website, uh, you know, there is there's like a an outer container, an HTML container, uh, and then there's an inner one inside that, which is a head tag. And that generally is where you put things like the title of the page, um, like maybe a description of it, uh, links to style sheets that might change how the website looks. Uh, and then you get into the body, which is usually the content. That's where all the words and the, the pictures and you know anything that you actually see on a screen uh, is. But you know we assume that everybody can see and that they can see well enough at a certain text font size and that they can see images of a certain resolution. But there's a lot of people actually that uh, don't look at a website. You know, they use like a screen reader or they have something read it to them, you know. In fact, I don't assume that everyone can see because one of my oh. first jobs after I was a webmaster was working for a company that did distance learning for uh, and most uh, several of our of our users we're blind. And so like, I learned quite a bit about accessibility in the like web 1.0 days and what that meant. I'll be interested to hear from you what that sounds like today. <laughs> no, I actually really want to hear about the web 1.0 days of trying to make a website accessible. Like what is it? What did that even mean back then? Uh, it was, it was mostly around screen readers. Like that, that is like a huge thing. Um, and what's interesting is some of the things that were, the right way to do it back then I, mm. I have seen are uh, distinctly not the way that people want things done anymore. So for example, one of the first things I ever learned about accessibility was I should not put my menu bars on the sides. I should put them at the top. Right. So if I had like links mm. because the screen reader, if I had like home about, uh, fun whatever right like if i had links at the top <laughs> the, the the three main sections of a website i home about made a fun. website in like 20 years <laughs> uh, um uh if i had those at the top great the screen reader would come through and it'd say home fun whatever the other one matt said about uh right? mm -hmm. it would it would do those um and if i had it on the side then it would be like home this is Matt Messerman's fun page <laughs> and it would mm -hmm. be really confusing. Nowadays I've, I've heard the, the opposite is true. Well, I mean, I, I will speak from someone who has not necessarily done a lot of web accessibility specific coding. And I mean, that's kind of part of why I wanted to talk about this is that it's a, there's definitely more tools and uh, the, you know, the spec for HTML has changed. Um, Considerably. It has gotten more <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gotten a lot more semantic, and by by what I and what I mean by semantic is that like instead of uh, there was this thing that people used to call it uh, divitis back when the div tag was uh, created, which is just short for like division, which is just like a section of the page. The problem with div, uh, I mean, it was great, but it, but at the same time, it it has no semantic meaning. Because one div is semantically, it has the same meaning as any other div, yeah. you know. Like, it was like it, container, it, <laughs> is mm -hmm. basically what it was. Right, box, you know, it, it's it's as useful to a screen reader that is reading the code and trying to interpret it by, you know, parsing it and then reading it out loud to someone who can't see it 
versus someone who can, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a div or a section or an aside or a footer, header, you know, Spam. you're just seeing, yeah, you're just seeing the website. You're not seeing the code behind and how it's structured. So it doesn't matter as much. But for someone using a screen reader, it's incredibly important that the semantics of the code, uh, th- that it's semantically created rather than div, 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 which is not as helpful. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because, and you, and you mentioned this at the top, and I was going to ask you about it, and then I distracted myself with my own anecdote. Um, <laughs> uh, you jerk. So I know that screen readers, when I had reason to know anything about them, which I haven't in like 30 years, uh, <laughs> can't have been that long, 20 years, they read the screen, like what was actually on the screen. It would parse and like find letter. Like it didn't necessarily read the source code. At least that's how it seemed to me. Um, but mm-hmm. the way you described it, it sounds like, you know, especially if you start talking about div tags and whatnot, that, that means that the, the screen reader is actually going in, parsing the HTML itself and then spitting that in. Like it's basically a browser uh, would be the way that that would work. Whereas I was loading things up in Netscape Navigator and then the screen reader would read off of what was there. Yeah, well, once again, I can see well enough to look at the websites that I work on so I don't use a screen reader. And uh, I, so I, I, I don't want to speak for someone who I regularly uses it, but from what I have done little research on, <laughs> admittedly, I mean, the whole point, well, part of the point of making it more semantic is not necessarily just for screen readers. It's probably also for... Uh, just data transfer, you know, like like something like uh, piping in HTML or piping out HTML mm. so that it understands the document better. Uh, so so it doesn't just see div one through ten; it sees header, section, aside, footer, navigation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that a screen reader uses that information to better parse. The page than something that's just div 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 um i would know, that expect that that's the case me. these days like it seems yes. like i mean when i was doing this this was like 98 99 right it was like that mm-hmm. that time period 2000 give or take a year uh um like aol was still big <laughs> right but you know the web was was new ish then yeah. people weren't it was unusual to have a web page uh, still back then, you know, GeoCities was in its infancy, um, mm-hmm. and also existed. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, having a, a some, you know, a relatively small portion of the population needs screen readers. So, having one that was special to the web, which was this new thing, might not have made sense. Whereas having one that could just read whatever words were on the screen. In whatever, you know, if it was a Word document or whatever else people did, email, like you said, um, Mm -hmm. right, then it wouldn't matter. But now the web is so ubiquitous and it is so, like, integral to our daily lives that it probably Mm -hmm. would make more sense for a screen reader to be effectively a browser uh, or at least an HTML parser. But, yeah, the world has changed a lot. (laughs) I mean, yeah, when I think about what was on the web then, you know, like, you know, uh, movies and animations were not big. Pictures were few and far between, and it was largely text. It was largely just a, you know, and, and the easiest way, I guess, to put something public on the internet that was largely text-based that you could send a URL to someone and look at it. And it was, 
it was easier to share than something like a news group like Usenet or IRC. Uh, you know, you just, you know, everybody tended to have a browser, I think even in the late 90s, like Internet Explorer. I don't know if that was a thing yet, but like you said, Netscape Navigator. Yeah. Yeah. NCSA, Mosaic. Early Firefox. It's not too early Firefox. Than that. Um, so, but it was still largely text-based. And so just having, you know, a screen reader didn't have to contend with much. And also the layouts in, and, and, and this is why I think that like the actual structure of the page does matter because the layouts of the page do matter because I think the screen reader does take that into account and having it be more semantic helps it parse and know what to actually read out loud. Like what is content and what is structure so that it doesn't just read stuff that doesn't make any sense to someone who is hearing the web page, you know, like it, it's an internal thing that would be useful for someone debugging it, but not someone for consuming it. But, you know, I think there's a lot more to accessibility than just, you know, how good does a screen reader handle a web page? Right. Well, there's a lot of types of accessibility that, uh, or, or forms of accessibility that are necessary, right? Even just sticking with visual uh, acuity, you know, you could have uh, great vision, but perhaps you're colorblind. Taking into account uh, colorblindness in your web page design is is pretty important. Uh, what, one of my first jobs out of college was working on a, a helicopter, and we had to have uh, the uh, on the display software, and when it was showing tracks, which are other vessels, right? Uh, we had not only a color, but a shape and a certain shading so that mm -hmm. no matter what your visual level was, or if it was, you know, night outside or not, you know, whatever, as long as you could see the thing, you could tell what it was. Now, most web pages are slightly less critical than a flying chunk of metal, but it's still, you know, a worthwhile thing to consider when you're doing your development. Yeah. And, and I, and I think there's definitely a, a, a larger portion of people who are making websites these days where accessibility is is higher a higher priority uh, because it's bigger and accessible to more people. And so, you know, it's it's one of those things where like the the novelty of having a website is obviously long gone. And so the 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 basic meat of a website is is a solved problem. And so there's almost no excuse now to not also try to make it accessible to as many people as possible. Although it's not something that at least I have been um, a part of where like if we're starting something from scratch, making it accessible is not necessarily a top priority. It's still kind of like a secondary or tertiary concern. But you do actually think about it. Like it is actually something that you are that you do discuss and like, are you yes. required to make things accessible or is it something you guys choose to do? I think I, in an I mean, academic situation, I would expect that it's kind of like, no, you have to do this. Working in academia, uh, it is more important. Working on the web, making all of our websites as accessible as possible is definitely uh, important and, uh, and has become more important over time. And, you know, I think it's great. And I, I find it an interesting, you know, as someone who just likes to solve 
puzzles, you know, it, it's fun to think about like, how can we make this more accessible? And like, like you were talking about the colorblindness, even if you're not colorblind, even just a simple, something as simple as color contrast is something that I've looked at a lot more in the past, um, just using like the dev tools in a web browser. Uh, mm. I know Chrome does it. I'm sure the other ones do it as well, but like you can look at the color of something on a website and you can, and it can give you like a, like an index of like, this is above a certain threshold of some standard of, of contrast, uh, or it's not. And you should, you know, you know, don't put pink on a red background. That's a bad idea because you can't read it. So instead you should, you should, you know, know some, you know, minor color theory, uh, about how certain colors go together and don't put colors that are very close to each other on like a color wheel because you can't read them. That's a super simple thing to make your website more accessible that like is somehow still, you know, is still violated on the web these days. Oh, frequently, uh, all the time. I, I mean, I make any web page I make these days, black and white, text only, you know, no menus. Uh, you just, you have to, it's like a text adventure game. Mm-hmm. That's the only way to do it. So what kind of accessibility uh, concerns have you had to actually consider? Because pretty much screen readers were the only thing that I and and colorblindness stuff were the only things that were even discussed back in the very late 90s, early 2000s world that I was in. So what kind of things have you had to um, solve? Yeah, I'm I'm looking at uh, the W3.org's uh, page on uh Web access, they have a web accessibility initiative, WAI. They break down the web into different categories of differently abled uh, experiences, like people who uh, have auditory issues. There's cognitive, there's neurological, there's physical, there's speech, and then there's obviously visual. I think that visual is probably the one that we think about the most. Just like, like I said, the size of images whether they have uh, proper alt, ta uh, alt oh, tags. Yeah. And alt titles. tags are, and <laughs> titles, yeah. Like, alt tags are important, and actually, they're important both for existing and not existing. And I'll explain. Uh, because when I think about the web, I think, and I think about images on the web, there's definitely, like, two main categories of images on the web. They're sort of like what, what I'll call, like, you know, useful images or, or functional images where being able to see what the content is actually informs you or helps you in some way. Right, and then there's more to what you're actually reading. <laughs> right. Right. Like, like a chart or a graph or something that's explaining, you know, something that's happening. And then you have what, what is probably the majority of images on the internet, which is kind of like pictures of cats. Yeah. <laughs> They're just nice to look at. They break up the text. It, you know, everybody, you know, if, if you go on any social media platform ever, the kinds of things that get more engagement are always visuals over blocks of text. So obviously we can't issue text entirely until we go completely emoji. Um, so until then, mixing in some images, uh, some, some flavor, flavor images with your text uh, helps break up the monotony of text. But also, you know, I mean, if you've ever read a magazine, you can do a lot more interesting, you know, layouts with images that, you know, can convey emotions and feelings as you're reading something yeah it's an entire art style of just for that right but a one i am quite bad at <laughs> i can write <laughs> right. all day you ask me to make something look pretty you're barking up the wrong tree it, it, i mean yeah it's it's a skill but anyway back to the alt tags 
you definitely want alt tags for the informational images. Uh, you don't necessarily want alt tags for the flavor images because it can be confusing mm. if the flavor images don't actually convey any information. They're really just there to break up the text and to, you know, kind of create a, a, a mood or, or a feeling or something. Um, that text could be a, a distractor from the actual content on the web. And so that that's an interesting thing to think about. It's, it's true that you need an alt attribute on every image tag uh, to, to kind of pass muster with the standard, but you actually only want to have actual text in there uh, if it's useful and if it's not a distractor. So there's, there's one example. There's another initiative called ARIA. You may have heard of ARIA, uh, not necessarily the solo vocal performance. Um, Wasn't yeah, she the Little Mermaid? <laughs> Close. Oh, wait, uh, no, no, she's from Game of Thrones. That's who Arya is. <laughs> yeah, this is A-R-I-A, not A-R-Y-A. It stands for Accessible Rich Internet Applications. Huh. And uh, according to Mozilla's developer docs, which I also use a lot and are, I find very helpful, um... It's a set of roles and attributes that define ways to make web content and web applications, especially those developed with JavaScript, more accessible to people with disabilities. Um, so these are these are tags. Uh, these are attributes. Sorry. So if you have like an image tag in a web page, you might put an aria. Ah, well, remember how I was talking about the 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 semanticness of your document instead of having the divitis. Instead, you have like you know. This thing is a header. This is a, a, a navigational toolbar or whatever. Um, ARIA, the ARIA role of a tag uh, is important for screen readers because they use that to parse the document better. And so they know when they're looking over something, like your issue with the, the menu being at the top versus the side. If you have something, if you have these ARIA roles and you tag the menu as ARIA role menu or navigation or toolbar or something, then the screenwriter knows that it's a menu and that it can probably skip it when it's like when when you just say give me the content of this page and it doesn't just huh. con you know constantly read over the menu because before like you said it didn't have the intelligence to know that this thing on the screen has a specific role and perhaps is not part of the blog post you know so so if you tag it that way then the this tool knows it and can better parse it. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, the same thing with like interactive things like ARIA roll button. Like like mm. this thing, this link is a button you can specifically. Click <laughs> you can click this and it has all of these attributes that buttons have. You know, like you said, they can be clicked, they can be disabled, they can be uh, depressed or not depressed, etc. You know, they, they can either be on Zoloft or not on Zoloft. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so stuff like that. So, so those kinds of tags come from this 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 desire to make the code more semantically meaningful, so that things that try to access it that aren't just your eyes reading it and parsing it can better understand what the content is. And you know that I think that's a step forward for accessibility that everybody could easily do on every web page that ever is existing. Um, why don't people do that? Or why don't people still don't do that? I bet a lot of them don't even know. It probably didn't even cross their mind to think about someone who's not themselves. Um, that is yes. most people in the world 
are like that. I met a lot of people don't know that you, I didn't know about the Aria tag. I don't create web pages, but, and then, you know, there's so many different, there's so many different types of accessibility needs. You know, I can think that it's easy to miss some, you know, I could think of some off the top of my head that are more obvious to me, like flashing lights might cause epilepsy. You don't want to have really loud noises. So if someone's, you know, really uh, sound sensitive, like I am like that, that kind of thing. But you know, the, those that's about the extent of what I would think of uh, off the top of my head. A simple example would be like a uh, a video that you might have embedded on your web page, making sure that the default volume is at something reasonable, like twenty five percent instead of a hundred percent, because well, obviously people want to watch my video and listen to it at full blast. Who wouldn't want to do that? Um, you know, like you said, stop stop thinking about your your main goal which is to make a splash and instead think about you know a, a wider range of people and also like they might be doing something else they may not be expecting it to be super loud and you can always raise the volume but once you've blasted them with the hundred percent volume you that may be the end they may leave because they're like whoa what's oh, up I with will. this page yeah i'm like right. oh that one's making noise click it's gone mm-hmm. yeah well <laughs> and then there's the whole uh, advertisement industry, which uh-huh. seems hell-bent on doing the exact opposite of all these things, which is to get in your face and throw things on the page. And, you know, who cares about accessibility? The whole point is to get your attention in every possible way you can. So, uh, you know, there's always going to be that issue. good way to get a, uh, a quick overview of some of the things that the W3 organization thinks is important for accessibility on the web uh, is there is the WCAG, thankfully. And, oh, yes, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. So that's essentially a list of things that your website should do in order to be accessible. And it's at version 2.1 right now, and it's definitely come up at my work, and it is definitely something I've used to try to make our sites more um, accessible. So some of the things they mention that you should be doing are... Me? Okay. Yes, you specifically, nobody else, so listen up. So Matt Matt should be doing these yeah, things. Yeah, it Got actually it. says okay. your name right here and your last name and everything. It's it's crazy. Um, oh, no. I don't know how they my address? That. Am I doxxed? Yep, yep. <laughs> our, so the first thing is text alternatives, which, uh, you know, we already touched on with alt tags, but also it's like if you only have... Audio or video conveying the information. It's also good to have text. Uh, captions are really good. Uh, I mean, I, I loved it when YouTube started doing their auto captioning service on every video. I was like, oh, yeah. yes, this is great because sometimes I don't have the wherewithal to listen to the the sound or I'm in a noisy environment or I just don't want to have the volume up and having captions are amazing. Yeah, I have a bit of an auditory processing issue and it's oh. actually difficult for me sometimes to figure out what is being said, especially mm-hmm. if there's extra noise going on. Mm-hmm. So I, I I have captions on all the time. I have since I was like a teenager. I've watched TV with captions on. I have on the side of our uh, little chat window right here, I have the auto-generated captions that are popping up. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, no, captions are great. And uh, if you ha- if your site is heavy 
on the audio or the video having transcripts or captions are great um the the, the next section is about a, a making your content adaptable which is basically just what i was talking about is is having the code be semantic and not unsemantic so that other technologies that try to read your website can understand it better we talked about uh the use of color contrast uh there's definitely um I mean, th- there's certain there's certain things that it's not quite cross cultural, but things like, you know, greenish hues are generally like this is a good thing, this is a positive thing, this is a go forward thing. Having red be a cancel or a stop or a back is a, a, a fairly good guideline to to stick to when yeah. you're when like you're doing a, stuff. Like on the window we have right here, uh, leave is in red. Mm-hmm. That indicates to me that this is a. It's like a terminal condition to what we would do, but not necessarily. I've also seen people to use red to be like, hey, pay attention to this. So it's usually just, it's important. Yeah, it, it is important. And I think about it like when, when I'm, when I'm, even when I'm just uh, coding or, or, you know, making something for a personal project, you know, I do think about these things because I think about how can I make it easier to scan my code and so any kind of, like, if there's a color option, you know, I might color certain things just so they stick out more. And that's, that's just, I mean, in a way that makes it more accessible because you can quickly scan something and say, oh, this is, you know, if you're looking like a log or something, you can see a bunch of green stuff oh, come yeah. up. Oh, I, I can ignore that because that's all good. Oop, there's a red thing. I should pay attention to that. I don't even have to read the words. I just know that calls my attention immediately yeah. and that makes it more accessible red's an error yellow's a warning green's mm-hmm. okay yeah and and i see that in lots of software stuff yeah they, they talk about being able to resize text because yep, lo- that's very important lots of people choose you know a specific font but that's not necessarily good for everybody and it should be able to work you know within a range not necessarily 192 impact font but you know between 10 and 20 your content should not break if somebody decides to change it, you know, to make it easier yeah. to read. You know, if your if your parents or grandparents have a have a smartphone, you've probably seen that their text message font is like 192 DPI, and that's okay. That's good for them. Yeah, yeah. they can see one letter at a time, and that's that's fine. Right. <laughs> uh, and also make sure that though that the those letters that comprise words in the sentences uh, have the correct spacing, and they're not all bunched up. Make sure to do your letting oh. and your kerning properly. Because, uh, you know, and yes, I mean, I'm in my 40s now, and I started using the web in my 20s, and my vision and, and ability to read super tiny text on a large, as the screens have gotten larger and the text gets smaller, yeah. it's harder to read. Just, you know, full yep. stop. I, I tend to watch, I tend to read things at about 125%. Most, most of my <laughs> web pages tend to get that one little bump. Yeah. So, so yeah, make your, make your, make your stuff, you know, flexible. I mean, honestly, I remember this all kind of started and it wasn't because of accessibility, but I remember the first time I heard about responsive design, um, and making a web page or an app, you know, on phones work on a small phone screen, on a tablet screen, on a huge desktop screen. I mean... You know, it, it there's not necessarily a one size fits all, and so you have to know that it could change, and you have to be able. It has to be adaptable. That's the thing. Responsive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and like you said, it's not even it's not even necessarily 
accessibility related there. It's, oh, we want people to be able to resize their browser window because they will. And we want our content to still look good. Exactly. It's or a seed on multiple different devices. Yeah, it, it's definitely <laughs> I mean, it's definitely there was definitely a, a transis a transitory time where trying to think about a website not just being viewed on like a desktop PC uh, was a bit of an obstacle because you had to think, you know, there's a thing called like mobile first design where instead you design your website so it works good on a phone and then you make it more complicated as the, the monitor gets bigger or the, the resolution gets bigger. Um, I, I don't necessarily do that all the time. Uh, I mean, cause I'm often working on a website on a large screen and then I'm like, Oh yeah, I got to think about Does this just break on, on my phone? Does it just look terrible? Does everything, you know, does it collapse properly? But you know, as time has gone on, people have gotten more used to thinking about that. And I don't responsive design is not really like a buzzword anymore. It's just standard. You just, have to make your yeah. stuff work. You have to do it that way because you don't know how people are going to look at your stuff. Exactly. You used to. You used to be there was one way to do things. Right. And now, now there's not, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think I think it's okay, and and I actually like the challenge of trying to take a big complicated website and make it work nicely on a phone and getting rid of the cruft and making things smaller and making it like, you know, scrollable as opposed to like mouse look around clickable. Speaking of which, the the interface to a website on a phone or a tablet is completely oh, yeah. different than on a computer. You're not using a keyboard and a mouse. Um, I built a an online keyboard, like musical keyboard that you can play like a piano and I had to think, okay, I could be using a keyboard, like an actual computer keyboard, and like if I press the A key, that does a C on the piano, but I also might be using my mouse and clicking on the keys, but I also might be on my phone tapping the keys, or I might be using a MIDI keyboard and sending that information to the computer. I had to, you know, I, because I was or building you might be me. using speech to text to translate, st- and then it. Co- yeah. I, oh my gosh! I didn't even think about that. Now I'm. I got to go back and do that. Get your Siri and Alexa to to compose the music for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, then I'll just talk to Jet Chat GPT and say, you know, just 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 create a relaxing mood music for me. Um, but yeah, like, but but even before all that, just making your website keyboard accessible so that you can easily navigate it with a keyboard uh because some people are just faster and they like using the keyboard they don't want to move away to a mouse um or maybe they just have limited like wrist mobility and and doing the 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 switch between a keyboard and a mouse might be painful and they need to keep their key their hands right here or you know people who use vim all day you know they they want to be able to go to your website and not use a mouse (laughs) oh uh the language uh i mean that that's a huge much bigger topic, but yeah, I mean, being able to read your website in multiple languages, I mean, we're not all Wikipedia, so, you know, you don't have to worry about mm-hmm. that, but I mean, that's another thing to, uh, to think about, and, and if, you, if you code your website in a way to where all the content is kind of more like in a data set rather than a bunch of loose HTML pages, then you can easily make it more accessible because now you have a data set of content that can be fed into some kind of translation service and expand until you it finally can be read in you know um klingon which is which is the ideal yeah. state now now localization is something i've had to work on uh in in somewhat recent years even though i'm not necessarily on the web but it's a very common problem mm-hmm. to have to solve because yeah 
they're not everyone speaks the language you do. Exactly. Um, you know, I'm just, I mean, I think that's enough things from this site to like, just for everybody to think about. Um, but I'm curious since I have, I have one question oh. for you before, uh, before you ask me whatever you were going to ask me. <laughs> so when I was doing web stuff, mm. that was back in the, that was pre div days. It was like, you put everything in a table, mm-hmm. right? But there's a, the biggest technology shift besides JavaScript is I would say CSS. And mm-hmm. I wonder how that plays into the accessibility. Cause I could see on one hand, you, you might even just have like a strip style sheet to switch over to like, Oh, I'm, I'm colorblind click. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could also see like you hide things. And so a screen reader could easily get confused if like your CSS is set up to like not show something, for example, uh, when it's in this class. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have not done, like I said, I have not really used a screen reader much, so I don't know the pain points that they face. Um, the, I mean, the, the one thing that I have done, though, that's related to that is like creating a second style sheet for a dark mode. Um, mm, and yeah. that, and that's, and that's something that's become more regular, you know, uh, especially, you know, when you're working on your computer at night, I mean, you know, the, the computer I'm using right now like at a certain time automatically flips from a light mode to a dark mode just so um you're not blinding yourself with this bright uh color palette uh when there's no uh, outside light you know diffusing it um but yeah you know I've thought about doing that and I've and I've implemented that a couple times on websites with like a little toggle um I mean you could be even fancier and have it I guess have a server component to read the server time. So when it goes past nighttime, then it automatically switches. But there's also, um, there's actually, a, a part of CSS. Uh, I forget what the actual tag is, but it's, it's something you want to respect because some people, regardless of what you might think your website looks best in, still have a preference, like prefers dark even during the day. Oh. And so that's something you have to take into consideration that, and, and respect as part of, the browser, like, you know, even if you would normally say, okay, switch to the dark mode only at this time, they may say, no, 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 I like dark mode all the time. And so you look at that and then you ignore your instruction and use their instruction. So that's another, you know, the, the whole respecting the user's preferences and wishes as best as possible without, I don't know, ruining seems like the wrong word, but you know, like right. modifying While still your site. keeping the, f- the functionality yeah. and the needed things on your page. Yeah, exactly. All right, what was the question you had for me? Well, I had a question for you since this has been a largely web accessibility thing because that's my background. Like, beyond what you did back in the 90s, like, what what have you had to contend with for accessibility? Or what have you been told to, what standard or feature have you been asked to implement in your work? Um, probably the biggest thing is is the colorblind stuff. I, okay. I've had to do that in multiple apps uh, throughout the years. And localization also, yeah. as you mentioned. Um, and then when I was working on the helicopter software, there was a lot of like the, the governments and militaries have very precise specs that you must, uh, adhere to, mm-hmm. uh, for anything that's going to go in an aircraft. So there, there were specific things. I mentioned the, the thing with the, the track symbols and how like a hostile one was maybe like a diamond shape, but a friendly one was a circle, but also the friendly was blue mm-hmm. and also <laughs> It had a shading to it, right? Like, so that kind of thing uh, I've had to deal with. But in general, I have not worked on things that have that are particularly user-facing other than 
you know, the first 20 years of my life. So I don't know why I said that. Uh, <laughs> actually, most of what I've had to work on, but they aren't, um, but they're relatively simple applications like a video player that doesn't have a lot of, doesn't have a lot of text to it to begin with. Doesn't right. have a lot. It's pretty much got a play button. Right. So, yeah. Or, or something that's tightly, tightly controlled like the helicopter software. Yeah. And, and, and I guess my, my most, current role, I don't have to deal with it at all. <laughs> yeah. I guess most of my career is a lot of, user-facing stuff um it's just that the web accessibility stuff has has a i guess it's somewhat newer and so i just haven't really been forced to contend with it uh and also like you said it's just as as a human being it's very hard to not think about the way you experience something and and try to think about the way someone else might experience something and you know it's like having a that empathy for like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the screen right now. I'm, I'm seeing your face. I'm watching the audio get recorded in another window. Uh, but what if I couldn't see very well? Like, w- would this even be fun to do? Like, uh, it's very hard for me to think about what the world would be like if I didn't have my current capabilities and without sometimes being forced by an organization or a standard or just user feedback, uh, to force your hand to like, well, what about us? You know, I, it's like, nobody's coming to me saying like, Hey, you know, I, I can't read your website because of blah, blah, blah. It's more like our website should do this because these people yes. with these experiences do exist and maybe having this experience. Right. Because you should be designing things so that everybody can use them and enjoy them and not just certain people. Right. It, it, the problem though, is that you said should, but you're, but you're not forced to, and anything you're not forced to is harder to get everybody on board. Um, I, I wanted to just, just to, uh, throw a shout out before we end this episode, uh, to this Microsoft inclusive, uh, design toolkit. Uh, I saw the, this picture, I linked it to you earlier. Um, I don't know, probably on social media at some point, but I like, uh, the vibe and, and the, 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 the thought process behind it, because usually when we think about designing for accessibility, I don't know, we always go to like extremes, like someone who's, you know, like Helen Keller, how would she use a website, man? Um, but it, it, there's so many, there's such a spectrum of, of, of people that you should try to design your stuff for. And so they have these four categories of touch, see, hear, and speak, and then three columns of permanent, temporary, and situational. So for example, uh, we're talking a lot about visual stuff. So in the C permanent cell, we have someone who's blind. Okay. Someone who literally can't see anything. That's, that's pretty extreme from me right now who can see the screen and what's going on. But there's also someone who may have like a cataract or a glaucoma, or maybe they just, uh, you know, put the drops in their eyes and their pupils are dilated and they can't see very well for a few hours. That's still a situation that far more people are in and, you know, what about them? You know, like, don't worry about the one person who's 100% blind. What about the person who has, you know, an eye injury? Or even better, the situational cell, which is a distracted driver. Yeah. You know, everybody has been distracted while interfacing with tech. And so you got to think about how would they be interacting with your stuff if you were in that situation. Yeah. Some of the best uh, applications I've seen take into account situational things by 
for example, recognizing when you're outside, you know, the auto adjust contrast. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. But they can do more than that um, and like switch to a, you know, maybe I have white text on a black background because that's how I normally like to read because I'm reading at night. But when I'm outside, perhaps it needs to switch automatically, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, goes back into the day night mode. But then there's also for games in general or or most things, they're just going into a high contrast mode so that it's because everything's kind of washed out when you're out in the sun. Right. Yeah. There's all sorts of those. Um, yeah. The, uh, the here row permanent is someone who's deaf. The temporary is someone who just has an ear infection. Maybe you have too much earwax. Who knows? Uh, and then situational is like a bartender. Um, you know, someone who there's a lot of noise going on at all times. And so you got to think about how would you design a system? If, you know, we're talking about someone like that. <laughs> I mentioned in <laughs> the, that, that Min, my character, uh, was being uh, represented in the touch permanent because he only has one arm. But there's also someone temporary just got an arm injury. Maybe you got a cast on. You can't exactly use yeah. the mouse right now. So you, you should be able to get, use your website yeah. with just one hand. Or situational. You're holding a baby. Holding <laughs> a baby. Or, or, a, or a baguette. Who knows? These are the kind of things I would like. And this is probably a good topic for a future podcast. Hmm. Um, I would really like to see uh, video games take a, more of these things into account. Some games take some of them into account. But in general, uh, I think there's there's a lot of room for accessibility improvements in that area. And just to wrap this up, why do you think we haven't seen more at this point, Matt? What's What's your opinion on that? I mean, honestly, it's pretty much what I said before. I, I think a lot of people are very myopic. Mm. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's on the chart. Um, no. But there, you have to make a conscious effort to think about people other than yourself. And most people, without prompting, will not do that. Yeah. Some people are very, very em- empathic, uh, empathetic. Um, and some aren't, and there's nothing you can do to change it. And then there's the rest of the world where it's just like, if you point it out to them, they'll probably, oh yeah, I didn't think of that. You know? Yeah. And it's a whole spectrum. Right. And, and I think another one that we may just be skirting around is kind of the, uh, the capitalism aspect of this is that it's often, oh, that's why you asked me. Cause you thought I would just go to that. <laughs> I figured you would just say, because it's not <laughs> profitable, Mike, it's not profitable. Uh, it's. It's not the thing that makes the business the most money because they're trying to target the majority of users who, you know. It's the 80-20 rule, right? You aim for the 80% of the people with 20% of the features or however the heck that works. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's sad that that's how it is. And it's it's hard to say that that thing will ever change because that feels kind of foundational to our society. But I think that... As technology gets better, it's easier and easier to do this kind of thing. And if you bake it into the template of a website that it's just accessible by design, then it ceases yeah. being difficult and it just happens and everybody wins. Everybody wins. <laughs> everybody wins. As Microsoft puts on this page, they they say they call it solve for one, extend to many. Not that, you know, Microsoft is the most pristine company in the world, but I did want to give them a shout out because I like this chart. So anyway. Well, they have one of my favorite stories of, of I guess it's accessibility uh, in a way that most people wouldn't think of um, when they were doing, I might've even told the story on this podcast before, when they were doing their handwriting recognition software, they, uh, they, you know, they tested it out and they're like, oh, this works really cool. Let's go bring it to Bill Gates. Brought it to Bill Gates. It didn't work. Why? Bill Gates is left-handed. 
and they were all right-handed. <laughs> so they had built and tested and run, and then they went to someone who had a different experience. And so, yeah, it uh, is an important thing to think about other people. I, I love it. That was a perfect way to end this. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, accessibility specifically to the web, but I think this can be extended to all software and hardware development uh, if you don't have to try that hard, actually. Um, but I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening to Hacking the Grepson. We have more episodes on hackingthegrepson.com. And until next time, uh, we now return you to your regular scheduled lives already in progress. 